0: Let me pray for us and we can jump in. Father, we thank you for this time together. Thank you for uh, the opportunity and the privilege to gather together as believers to learn more about you and uh, walk through this doctrinal statement as we kind of clarify and learn more and um, uh, respond to, um, to the statement as we kind of think through uh, how it affects our lives, how it applies to this body of believers. Help us to be uh, sensitive to your spirit, open to the things that you have to speak to us. And help us clarify who you are for us and help us sharpen that uh, image of who you are to us. Um, even as sometimes life and busyness and sin and um, responsibilities cloud it for us, pray that you continue to give us grace and uh, help us respond to it um, in a way that honors you. We ask all this in Jesus' name, amen. Um, so we're actually, how many of you here were, were here last week? Okay, almost half of you. Um, the, uh, we're, we started the uh, session last week with scripture and kind of the first uh, doctrinal statement on scripture. Um, I believe Shannon, reco- no, I'm not I believe, I know Shannon recorded it. So if you guys need um, to hear, catch up on that, definitely go, uh, we'll make sure that's available. Um, the other thing I like to tell folks, is, I mean, uh, while we like folks to attend every one of these, you know, it's not going to be possible that you you will never miss one, but uh, it's not sequential, so you can, you know, each week we'll cover topics that are kind of contained on its own, and then you can catch up as you have time. Does that make sense? So don't feel the pressure to, you know, uh, don't stay home because like, oh, I missed the first two weeks, I'm not coming back, or whatever the case may be. So, um, So we're covering the section on God today easy task, right? So uh, we'll we'll kind of jump right in. Um, I What I uh, want to do is I kind of got some feedback from Shane and Shan's like, I should have done this different, 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 different. So I'm like going to try a few things differently, but we'll probably not figure it out till we get to the end of this. But we'll, we're going to try some uh, different things. So what I'll do is probably read through the statement portions of it so you guys understand what's going on, what we're talking about, what we're looking at. And I'll probably break the session into uh, in between so that you guys can ask questions. And um, for those that have been uh, in classes before in more teaching style, I like to ask questions, and I expect answers, right? And so hope so. be, uh, be ready to do that just so that you participate, because uh, a lot of times the questions that you ask are probably what other people are thinking, and it helps me kind of get a gauge for what you guys are thinking, and if I'm kind of directionally at least hitting where I need to be. So um, this is the first section uh, or kind of the introduction to the section on God. So I'll read it quickly and then we'll kind of um, unpack it a little bit. And part of what I want you to do as I'm reading it is to kind of uh, get a sense of what is this talking about other than, I mean, a lot of this, if you've grown up in church or familiar with it, it, a lot of it sounds familiar, but kind of just keep a, keep um, an ear out for what are some things that stand out to you, what are some things that are phrased differently than you're used to hearing? And then we'll, we'll kind of uh, we'll talk through that as, we, as I'm done with this. So it starts with saying, God, there is one and only one living and true God. He is an intelligent, spiritual, and personal being, the creator, redeemer, preserver, and ruler of the universe. God is infinite in holiness and all of the perfections. God is all-powerful and all-knowing, and his perfect knowledge extends to all things past, present, and future including the future decisions of his free creatures. To him we owe the highest love, reverence, and obedience. The eternal triune God reveals himself to us as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit with distinct personal attributes, but without division of nature, essence, or being. All right, so from that section that we just read, what stands out to you uh, from that section? I'll come and go back so you guys can... Um, because I know you all did memorize that. So, what did, what stood out to you guys uh, in this section, or in this portion of the, on this description of God? Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I think the idea that he is this being that has the ability to know, and it's not like he's, you know, trying to prepare for a memory game. This is just how he, who he is, that's definitely kind of starts um, framing God as somebody that is not like us. You know, we can't, with the invention of cell phones, we can't even remember, you know, so phone numbers, so it definitely uh frames uh, frames this uh, frames him as somebody separate from us what else mm-hmm. yeah <laughs> mhm free to make this. Yeah, that's definitely something that uh, we'll touch on. Not this class, later on down in one of the sections. But yeah, that's definitely something that, that actually is not in the statement today. And I think that was interesting the way that's phrased. But anybody else? <laughs> Like mm-hmm. Yeah. Like why did you pick that one? Mm. Yeah. And I think the last sentence, I think is definitely something uh it kind of alludes to the idea of this Trinity we've talked about, and we'll talk, touch a little bit about that, but I think the way it's phrased as three distinct personal attributes with that division of nature essence or being, so it's definitely something that we'll touch on. so anything else before we move? On? No? okay so um you know it's it's always interesting as I was thinking about it, you know, preparing through this lesson together. I was thinking, like, why do we even have a section that articulates what who God is, or really what God is, uh, and why? Do, why is it necessary for us to go through this exercise and kind of capture it? And part of the reason uh, is um, kind of want to talk through three specific reasons. But one is your image of God is the most important thing about you. Okay, whether you're a believer or not. Okay, even if you're an atheist, that view that you have about God, that God doesn't exist, is probably the most important thing about you because that makes you, gives you the ability to respond to God in general or to the absence of God. The second, I think, is this idea that right living presupposes right thinking about God, kind of alluding to the image of God. But if we want to live godly in the way that God created us to be, we need to understand who he is and why he he created us. And for us to understand that, we need... uh, uh, right thinking about who God is and lastly it kind of helps us divide or give us the right understanding of um, who God is it helps us weed out false teaching or true-ish teachings right things that are probably somewhat true but not completely true right and there's a lot of that especially when topics like God you know uh, religion there's lots in there that uh, a lot of times are like that has some truth in it but it's not exactly what we're, we're trying to get to and I think it's important for us to articulate it because even things that are only true-ish, right? You like, okay, let's. Why don't we just give them the benefit of the doubt? It can uh, infect kind of our image of God and thus infect how we live for Him and how we uh, because right living presupposes the right thing about. So those are kind of three big things. It shouldn't be a surprise to anybody. I think it's. But if it's um, if it's in the back of a man, it's like, why are we looking at this in this section? This, those are probably the t- three three reasons that I can think of. So. When, when I think about um, the right, uh, right um, understandings of God, I think it's important also to also look at what are some incorrect understandings of God, okay? And again, I'll just run through it. I'm, this is not all of the incorrect understandings, but these are some top ones that I think we all can probably recognize. So atheism is one of them. And atheism basically just argues that there is no God, okay? And I think one of the uh, issues with this is, well, I'm just curious. I want you guys to hear what you guys think. Why? What, do we, what is one of the biggest uh, issues with atheism, other than the fact that it's not true? What, what does it take, I guess, let me lead you guys a little bit. What does it take for you to know there is that, that something does not exist? Let's just take unicorns, for example, like right? just an example. What, how much do you need to know before you can claim that unicorns don't exist? Yeah, but if you think about it, if for somebody to say there is no God, they would have had to know everything there is to know, right? They would have to know more than this God that they say doesn't exist to be able to even make that statement, because they, they meaning they have to have complete knowledge to be able to say something like that does not exist. So anything, any affirmation from the negative, that's kind of the formal term, is always very difficult to prove out. Right To say that something does not exist is hard, because you would have to know everything there is to know to come back and say that there is no God. Second is pantheism. And pantheism is something that's popular. It's basically like, God is in everything. right? You've, we've probably heard uh, some of those things. Uh, what's that movie with the blue people, uh, Avatar? I mean, it's one of the classic examples of pantheism. It's in a lot of different, uh, shows up in a lot of different um, formats. Um And more popularly called new age kind of philosophy or new age thinking, and the idea is that um the deity permeates everything now we do believe that God created everything right, but we don 't believe that God resides in everything like god 's not in the you know oak tree in front of your house, for example right that 's probably what pantheism would think. they think that God exists in the trees and when blah blah blah. polytheism is basically God. There's belief in many gods, so there's not just one god. So obviously, uh, the Greeks were, as a classic example, they believed in Zeus. They believed in Apollo. Like they believed in multiple gods. A more popular example of that is uh, Hinduism. Hinduism believed in multiple gods, uh, and part of the idea is being an uh, agricultural society. They believed that there was a god of rain, that there was a god of the sun, there was a god of the fields, uh, and god of fertility. And so they basically felt like if they, ha- unless they pleased all these gods then um, they were not safe so that's one um, false understanding or incorrect understanding of god and we'll look at why that Mm isn't deism is more uh, probably not as popular but it used to be um, popular but deism just acknowledges i'm not saying there is no god that's the atheist position i'm just saying i'm not uh, i'm not sure there's a christian version of the god so there's no yahweh i believe there is some supernatural being i'm not sure that it is the christian god it could be some other god but uh, i'm not going to be uh, brave enough to say that there is no god so deism just means there is a god i'm not sure which god is it i'm not interested in that either here's uh, some other one agnosticism you probably heard of this it's basically um, i'm not denying there's no god but I don't have enough knowledge to say there is no God. Meaning they go back to the statement I just made, I have to know everything to be able to claim there is no God, so I'm not going to make that claim. So that's, um, Islam is uh, an uh, obviously popular version of uh, an idea of God. Islam has an idea of God, obviously very inconsistent with the teaching of the Bible, but uh, Muslims contend that God is a solitary personality mean, means uh, as opposed to the tri- tri- uh, nature of the Christian God. They believe in just God as this person in heaven. Uh, Similarly, Jehovah's Witnesses and such groups all um, kind of believe in this God as this being that's in heaven without any personal relationship to people. Mormonism is uh, basically, they have lots of issues too, but basically denies an eternal God, and they believe that God the Father has a body of flesh um, and uh, and bones just as tangible as man's, and we don't believe that. Um, questions on any of those pieces? Or anything I didn't cover? There's lots I didn't cover, like Buddhism and Terrestrialism and lots and lots and lots. I didn't figure you guys wanted to be here all night, so anything specifically that you guys have, uh, that you guys are want more questions on or need more clarification on? Okay. So, uh that kind of brings us to who is God? Uh this is one of my favorite quotes on uh, quotes on this. It's Dallas Willard saying, "God is the happiest most joyful being in the universe. God is not mean, but he is dangerous." So, what are some key attributes of God that kind of makes him the joyful being that's uh, in the universe? So let's look at a couple of kind of key attributes of God. First, God is self-existent. And so the word that's used in the Bible is Jehovah, meaning self-existent God. And so basically when you remember when Moses came to this bush uh, and asked, who should I say that, who should I tell the Israelites you are? And he says, tell them I am that I am. And the reason he has to say that is because he didn't have anything else to compare him to. So Moses I'm, I can't tell you I am like this bush, or I'm like this animal, or I'm like the sun. I have nothing to compare myself to, so I'm just going to say I am that I am. And that became the central theme for uh, the Jewish idea of Jehovah, or this idea of self-existent God. He exists outside himself. So for example, m- we need food, water, relationships, uh, air to uh, exist. But um, God is only dependent on himself. He does not need external, fe- uh, external aspects to keep him alive. Okay? And that's critical to being uh, uh, a God, really. Uh, God is life, and so that's this idea that God is um, the source of life. Okay? And basically, so we believe that not, not only is God creator, but he's also the source of life, meaning every life that exists on, in the planet or in the universe, if there's other life, he's the source of it. And he sustains all of it. Okay? Again, it's very different. We're not saying that he's in the oak tree, but we believe that because he's created all of it, he has the power and the ability to sustain all of it. God is immutable or unchanging. It's this idea of that since God is perfect, he cannot keep getting better, right? Unlike us, so it's the... the the verse in the Bible that's captured, uh, that kind of captures this theme is that he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. It's this idea that God is the same God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob that we worship today. What are some other ones? God is not limited by time and space, and this is critical. So I think I have a lot of, anytime I talk about, um, you know, some form of apologetics, people ask me, so um, if God created everything, who created God? Okay, and it's like, they, you know, like, oh, this trick question. Well, it's not a trick question, because if there was something that created God, then that thing that created God would be God. Does that make sense? So, God is uncreated being, and he stands outside time. Meaning, when t- He God existed before time began, and he spoke time into creation. So, since he's outside time, He, he does, he's not created uh, by anything. He is self-existent. And that's critical to understanding uh, our understanding of God. So, When you think about uh, things like uh, pantheism where the trees are gods or polytheism where there's multiple gods, um, the idea is that those gods live and die and go through this karmic cycle. We don't believe that because we think God, for a being to be supreme and eternal, they have to exist outside time or this being has to exist outside time. God is spirit. Okay. So notice I didn't say God is a spirit. I just say God is spirit. His essence is spirit. Uh, Part of what we do is that we recognize that God is not limited by a physical body. So, for example, uh, that's why we don't believe, uh, like the Greek gods, like like Zeus, etc., they were all just glorified versions of human beings. So when we say that God is spirit, we acknowledge that he's not limited by uh, our human body. And God is a person. That is a... uh, unique uh, aspect of, the, uh, of Christianity, where we, we uh, affirm that God is not just a spirit, but that he is also a person. A few weeks back, might have been a month or two back now, when I talked about Jesus and his humanity and his deity, this is one of the things that I alluded to, that God demonstrates all aspects of, uh, of, a, per, of, a, uh, of a person. So basically, he, uh, he's not portrayed as an impersonal being, but uh, he, he's painted as, a, as somebody who has all the characteristics of personality. And what are some of those characteristics, meaning he has a will, like he decides what he needs to do. He has, um, he has all the aspects of what we would call a personality, and so that's unlike anything that um, other people believe or other religions believe about God, even um, mo- other monotheistic relig- religions like uh, Islam. Any questions on that? Am I going too fast or am I going too slow? Does that make sense? No. Any any of these things are, are any of these things a little bit harder to digest or comprehend or like uh, I'm not sure why what that means really, etc. It's okay, but I just want to make sure I'm giving you guys enough time to uh, think through that. Okay, so that brings us to the fun topic of Trinity. And so, when we talk about, so we talked about who is God, and we then have to ask, what is the nature of of God? And that's this idea of, um, that I'm going to be covering here, is that God is by His very nature Trinitarian being. And what that means is He is one being with three persons. We'll unpack that in a little bit. But again, Dallas Willard, I like this quote by Dallas Willard, it says, God is a sweet society of persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. This is a popular image that a lot of if you go to like seminary or theology classes they'll explain um, how many of you have seen this image before yeah, so if you've seen uh, this basically just says the Father is God, the Holy Spirit is God, Son is God, but the Father is not the Holy Spirit, and basically that cycle so it basically is a demonstration of what the Trinity is so I uh, obviously wrestled with this for a long time too, and how to explain it, and so I think the best explanation I've had or I'm curious to hear y'all's thoughts first. What are y'all's understandings of Trinity? Difficult or uh, this is what I've heard in the past. Here's um, some of my difficulties with it. Or here's how I've heard it being explained. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But then I find myself like mm-hmm. Or mm-hmm. In my head. Even though I it I of them Yeah. Was so to kind of, yeah. I think it is, um, we'll come back to that. I think the way you phrased that was interesting. We'll come back to that. What else? No questions? So uh, so let me let me kind of talk through a little bit about how I think about it. Again, this is not going to be an explanation that solves all your uh, questions about this, but I think it gives me some idea. So think about us, right? When, when we say God is a trinity, what we're saying is God is one being with three persons. We are human beings, right? That's the type of being we are. Um, and so I am a human being, and I'm one person. So, what am I? What's the answer to that question? What am I? Human, yeah, human being. That's the type of being I am. Who who am I? Stanley. (laughs) (laughs) Not a trick question. Not a trick question. So what am I? I'm a human being. Who am I? I'm Stanley. So I'm one being and one person. Yes? So all of you share the characteristics of being a human being because all of you are human beings, right? Right. But there's a distinct, when you come back to who am I, then you got, we all are different types of people. So when we explain the Trinity, what we're saying is that God is one being, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, same being, but they're three different persons within the same being. So whereas I am one being, one person, God is one being, three persons. I know that's not all the answers, but it gives you a little bit of understanding of why. So, so coming back to the statement you just made, uh, it's okay to address them as separate because they are separate persons, but they're the same being. They, and we'll look at what does that mean for them to be the same being. Does that, does that make sense a little bit? Okay, it doesn't, I know, how does three persons live in one being or uh, express the characters of one being? Well, that's kind of where um, it's important for us to understand. It's a little bit outside our comprehension because we have nothing to compare it to. So I always hear, I mean, I've t- I talked a little bit about, uh, this is definitely something that uh, is unique to the Christian faith. And a lot of times people ask me, um i don't believe in christianity because of the trinity or like how can there be three gods it's like your polytheism or there's three gods and i'm like think about it if we were trying to convince people about christianity why would we come up with something so complicated like this it's it's not our invention like it's how god has revealed himself to us and so that's what we need to look at and so i think it's important to sometimes reframe the question as this is not a human invention we didn't create this idea of who god is this is what was revealed to us through his scriptures and that's why it's important for us to clarify and say sometimes this might be beyond uh, my complete comprehension but this is how we see god as because it's important um to how he's revealed us it's the accurate picture of who god is because that's how he's revealed himself to us so Understanding the Trinity, trinity, God is by his very nature a Trinitarian being. And so this is uh, from some of Shannon's notes that he shared with me. I think it kind of captures. So in the beginning, we talked about this idea of three distinct persons, one divine essence. So we were like, what does essence mean? And so this is kind of some of the same, uh, some of the um, details behind that. So when we say that uh, each of them are three persons, they share the characteristics of people separate from each other, meaning they have their own wills, they have their own consciousness, they have their own uh, centers of will, so we just separate from each other. It's not like they all, all share the same one. They all share the same type, but they are distinct in people, uh, distinct as persons. But when we say what is their essence, meaning they're of the same essence, we're saying they're the same type of being, meaning they share the same characteristics. They're omniscient, they're omnipresent, they're eternal, uh, and they, uh, they sh- all share the same types of characteristics. That also means that there is not a one, two, three ranking in the Trinity, right? It's not like it's the Father, Jesus, and the Holy Spirit. Though sometimes when we worship God, that's how we practice, right? We almost never think about the Holy Spirit. But so depending on what church background you have, you might be spending more time with Jesus or with God the Father. And there seems to be a lot of uh, um, kind of uh, fracture between how we address it. But... It's important that uh, we see them as equal uh, within the Godhead. Okay, so I just want to look at a couple of things. I just mentioned that the Trinity is revealed in the Bible, and so I just want to look at where is it revealed. So first, um, in the first verse of the Bible, we see this idea of, or we see um, God um, declaring, in the be- or Moses writing, in the beginning was, God and there in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. That word, God, is the word that is used is Elohim, and Elohim is a plural version of plural, um, plural of God. It's not a singular. But when he uh, when he talks about, um, he says in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The word God is plural, but the word created is singular. So. It demonstrates that when God, what God is telling the writer, or the, what the writer is trying to communicate us, is there was this plurality or this Godhead that did this one single act, which is this create, create act of creation. Okay, so that's the first uh, first revelation for us about. Hmm, that's interesting. This is the second uh, aspect in creation where we see uh, Trinitarian. Um, demonstration so it says then god said let us make let us make man or humankind in our image according to our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea over the birds of the air over the cattle over all the wild animals of the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps upon the earth again when the word let us is used it's not referring to angels like some people try to describe it uh, because angels don't actually create right they are created beings too even though they're Supernatural beings they are created beings and so between these two verses from the first chapter itself of the Bible we get an indication that God uh, expresses himself in the act of creation through the Godhead right not just God the Father but Elohim which is this idea of the, the Godhead plural for God uh, and then this idea of why does God himself call call why does God use the word us uh, and that's definitely another um, idea. Uh, The next verse, another part of the Bible, we look at, uh, this is in Isaiah. And in Isaiah, there's this instance where Isaiah writes, or Isaiah writes, for your maker is your husband, the Lord of hosts is his name, the Holy One of Israel is your Redeemer, the God of the whole earth, he is called. Again, the word maker, when it's translated uh, in the Hebrew, um, is plural for God. It's just not a singular. And so, again, what isaiah is recording for us here is that there is this idea that god is not just this uh, single person but it's three persons but the same being the god being this is the second verse in um, isaiah it says come near me and listen to this from the first announcement i have not spoken in secret at the time it happens i am there and now the sovereign lord has lord has sent me with his spirit this is what the lord says your redeemer the holy one of israel I am the Lord your God who teaches you what is best for you, who directs you in the path you should go. And this is Isaiah 48, 6 and 7. And here, uh you can see how Isaiah is identifying the three persons within the within the God being, isn't he? So he says, Sovereign Lord with his spirit, uh, and the Holy One of Israel, uh, the Lord your God. So he's basically uh kind of what you were saying, he's talking to all three persons within the God head, as opposed to just one. Uh, and thus revealing for us that even he, as early as uh, in Isaiah, recognized that the God, like God as he expressed himself, was Trinitarian, not uh, Unitarian, as a lot of people believe. Make sense to you? Oh. (laughs) The other couple of things I think that, um, just demonstrating, like, um, I've I have a, a few family members that uh, do b- go to churches that don't believe in the Trinity. And so every time we have these conversations, um, it always, like, they always have an explanation. And I think this was a great example for, um, to kind of just demonstrate the Trinity. So I just, so this is, the, this is Jesus' baptism, and Luke writes, Now when all the people were baptized, and when Jesus also had been baptized and was praying, the heavens were opened, and the Holy Spirit descended on him in bodily form like a dove, and a voice came from heaven. You are my beloved son. With you I am well pleased. Okay, so Jesus is being baptized. The Holy Spirit is descending. And God is speaking all at the same time. Can't be the same person. Right? Um, so a lot of people that believe uh, in Unitarian, which is a, a obviously what we would think as false doctrine, Believe that Jesus became God became Jesus and Jesus became the Holy Spirit, that they just transitioned uh, into these different beings uh, through these different uh, through the Old Testament and the New Testament. that's not what we believe. We believe that all three existed before time and continue to exist because God doesn't change and so this is a great example uh, where all three are present at the same time um And then lastly, each person uh, within the Godhead is referred to throughout the scripture. So there's portions within scripture where it only talks about Jesus, where it only talks about the Holy Spirit, and where it only talks about God the Father. And I think it's uh, interesting uh, to see that all three are considered to be important because all three are mentioned regularly in scripture. All right, brings us to the questions. What questions do you all have on the Trinity? No questions on the trinity? Mm-hmm. 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 Yeah. So when we when we say um, they have their separate will, it does not mean that they have different. They have the ability to make or have different wills. But they when we when we talk about God's will, what are we talking about? We're talking about the entire Trinity's will for us. And obviously, one of the things of being one being three persons is their wills are always uh, when it's communicated to us the same thing. Meaning, Jesus does not have a separate will. Meaning when we think about the will of God, he does not have a separate will than we do. He has the ability to have a different will, right? But he does not have a separate will as in like he does not expect something different from us that God the Father would expect. Does that make sense? So they, when we say that they are separate persons, we're saying they have these uh, uh, characteristics of, different, of, of a person. But that when we think about the traditional sense of what is God's will for me, it's not like Jesus has one will for me, Holy Spirit has a different will for me or God uh God the Father has a different will for me so a that like, hmm mm-hmm. Yeah, he he could have done his own will, but he chooses to do the Father's will. And he, uh, as we kind of, um, we go through, that's a great example. As you go through the Bible, through the Jesus ministry, we see them him submitting to what the Father's will is. Like, you know, he says, you know, not my will, but your will be done, right? But that's exactly what God, uh, Jesus would have wanted. At the time that he he's, um, as he submits to that, that's what he's uh, accepting. But we see in that picture, that Jesus' will was not, like, that's not what Jesus wanted, but he's taking on what God would have wanted. And so there is this um, submission within the Godhead to each other um, that we see. And uh, that, I think, is um, a distinction that it's hard to make. So what is God saying when he, so for example, when God says, or Jesus says, I, I'm, I do not know the time or place when I'll, you know, when I'll come back, it's only with the Father. So are you saying you don't know something that the Father doesn't know? Right? So I thought you were all-knowing. So I think there is some of these um, uh, nuances that we have to work through and really just depends on the context of the passage. Any other question? But good question. I'm happy to talk through more of it. Um, All right. Let's go through... uh, The last section is just kind of talking through the different... Uh, so I told, like I mentioned, all three are mentioned within the, uh, within the Godhead. And so if you look at the actual doctrinal statement, it gives you the summary we just looked at in the beginning, and then it talks about the God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. So I just want to kind of quickly go through that section before we close for today. So first, uh, God the Father uh, is described in the statement as God as Father reigns with providential care over his universe, his creatures, and the flow of the stream of human history according to the purposes of his grace. He's all-powerful, all-knowing, all-loving, and all-wise. God is Father in truth to those who became, become children of God through faith in Jesus Christ. He's fatherly in his attitude toward all men. So that's basically how we think about um, God the Father. And I wanted to see if you guys would help me kind of uh, look up some of these verses uh, and kind of read it out loud. Um, I'll read the first one. Can somebody pick uh, First Chronicles 29.10? At Galatians, can somebody pick First Timothy one seventeen? Okay, and Peter. Oh. oh, we have we have more of these. So, Bobby. Okay, I'll read uh, Leviticus twenty two two. And here uh, it's written: Speak to Aaron and his sons so that they abstain from the holy things of the people of Israel. Which they dedicate to me, so that they do not profane my holy name. I am the Lord. And so, this is the uh, God speaking about Yahweh, the idea of Father, um, in this section. Brian, you want to read Chronicles? First Timothy. Relations and First Peter one seventeen. So, what are some of the things that kind of just uh, stand out to you guys? And uh, the repeated some of the repeated themes that we see in those verses. I think one of the big things was the idea of this um, Lord God or this Yahweh idea or this uh, God idea as demonstrated as a father. We saw that appear a couple of times. What else? The verses that you read, what, else, what, what stood out to you guys? I think I heard Abba Father. So there's this, um, yeah, so this eternal aspect of God. Anything else? Okay, looking at the Son, I'll read this and then we'll look at a couple of verses. Christ is the eternal Son of God. In His incarnation as Jesus Christ, He was conceived with the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. Jesus perfectly revealed and did the will of God, taking upon Himself human nature with its demands and necessities and identifying Himself completely with with mankind, yet without sin. He honored the divine law by His personal obedience and in His substitutionary death on the cross, He made provision for the redemption of men from sin. He was raised from the dead with a glorified body and appeared to His disciples as the person who was with them before His crucifixion. He ascended into heaven and is now exalted at the right hand of God, where He is the one mediator, fully God, fully man, in whose person is effected the reconciliation between God and man. He will return in power and glory to judge the world and to consummate His redemptive mission. He now dwells in all believers as the living and ever-present Lord. Any big things that stand out to you guys here? I think the c- couple of big things for me was this idea that God, Jesus is fully God and fully man. Uh, I think we talked about it when I preached a few weeks ago like that he's not partial 50-50 but he's 100 he's fully God and fully man. He is the one mediator between God and man, right? He is that high priest that we we look to him as the intercessor for us. As he as he intercedes on our behalf. What else? Yeah, that's that's something. So we believe that uh, Christ's work uh, through us, that He dwells in us, um, and we'll talk through a little bit about that. Um, the idea of God's, we believe. I mean, the uh, I think the other piece that we just celebrated in Easter is god's death and resurrection and ascension uh, all captured here so we believe that god actually died jesus actually died and he was um raised from the uh, he raised himself from the dead and that he ascended to to heaven uh, as opposed to uh, believing that god was not really god that jesus was not really the person that was on the cross it was somebody else he didn't actually die etc cetera, etc cetera. now we actually believe that jesus was raised from the dead and that he's actually still fully uh, man and fully God let's pick some of these verses uh, Isaiah 7:14. go ahead Brian so somebody got John 1 1 8. Uh, let's just read the first four verses on John 1 thanks Amber and 1st Corinthians 1 30. thank you 2nd Corinthians 5 19 to 21 all right perfect Brian do you want to start So that's the uh, prophecy of Jesus being born uh, way ahead in Isaiah. So Jesus was, um, you know, that was prophesied in the Old Testament. What about John 1 1 through 5? Go ahead, Amber. Yes. So it goes back to the creation story where John writes, as he's writing says, in the beginning was the word and the word is with God. So that, again, the us, creation, the us in creation, uh, John, that's what John's referring to back here. 1 Corinthians one thirty. 2 Corinthians 5.19. So that goes back to the idea uh, of the reconciliation between God and man happening through Jesus as our high priest. He was the lamb, sacrificial lamb that uh, died in our place so that we could have reconciliation to God. Lastly, the Holy Spirit. I'll read through this and we'll read through a few more verses and we'll call it a day. The Holy Spirit is the living spirit, excuse me, the Holy Spirit is the spirit of God, fully divine. He inspired holy men of old to write the scriptures, Through illumination, he enables men to understand truth. He exalts Christ. He convicts men of sin, of righteousness, and of judgment. He calls men to the Savior that affects regeneration. At the moment of regeneration, he baptizes every believer into the body of Christ. He cultivates Christian character, comforts believers, and bestows the spiritual gifts by which they serve God through his church. He seals the believer unto the day of final redemption. His presence in the Christian is the guarantee that God will bring the believer into the fullness of the stature of Christ. He enlightens and empowers the believer and the church in worship, evangelism, and service. So a couple of big things here that the Holy Spirit does, right? often the forgotten God. Um, I think there's a book that by that title uh, referring to the Holy Spirit. So um, I think a couple of big things here that we see, uh, that the scriptures were inspired, and we believe that uh, we... we believe that it was inspired by the Holy Spirit as uh, the human authors wrote uh, or recorded God's inspired word. And Shannon talked a little bit about that last week when he talked about the scripture. He exalts Christ, right? So we see this, even though I said there is no hierarchy, we see that the Son uh, exalts the Father and the, and the Spirit exalts Jesus. Uh, and then we see this um, Trinitarian, um, Trinitarian um, effect going on but we see specifically here that he he points to Christ, um, the Holy Spirit does, for because of Jesus' death and um, on the on the cross. But he uses that Jesus' death to convict men of sin and righteousness. So we believe that the Holy Spirit convicts men of sin, and we believe we believe that the regeneration he baptized every believer into the body of Christ. So if you if you're familiar with um, other ideas, um, I, the church that I grew up in, um, we were taught that you, you would go to heaven when you confess Jesus as your Savior, but you had to be filled with the Holy Spirit as a second baptism to be a full believer, like to get the full experience. We don't believe that, right? So what we believe, obviously that's what I believe now, I believe that once, once we're saved, the Holy Spirit resides in us because nobody can be saved apart from the Holy Spirit and we're baptized in the, into, the, uh, into the body of Christ. A couple more things I want to point out. He cultivates Christian character, comforts believers, and bestows the spiritual gifts. So we believe that um, the Holy Spirit is critical in sanctification, right? We talk about this idea of we're justified in Christ and we're sanctified through the Holy Spirit, and we were glorified at the end uh, through Christ. But the Holy Spirit is responsible for that. He reminds us of the scriptures. He, remi- he uh, speaks to our hearts. He encourages us. He gives us the ability to pray, gives us the grace to pray. But he also gives us the ability to practice the gifts that he's bestowed upon us through the body of believers. Okay? So for example, uh, I'm, pra- you know, I'm uh, practicing the gift of teaching. I believe that the Holy Spirit is empowering me to um, exercise this gift. So whether it's you know worship or running sound or kids ministry or greeting, we believe that God I- the Holy Spirit is empowering believers with the gifts that they've been given to do these uh, specific things. And lastly, and I, w- I would like to get a few folks to read the verses, but he seals believers unto the final day, day of final redemption. So we believe that basically summarizing when you were saved, that you're always saved. Uh, we don't believe that you can lose your salvation because we believe once Jesus starts the work, he's faithful to complete it. And so we trust that once you believe, once you, believe, uh, once you um, give, you're sealed by the Holy Spirit um, as a child of God, that um, he, will, um, he will preserve you till the end. And that his his uh, presence in our life is the guarantee for that. Um, can one of you read Genesis one two. Uh, Judges 14-6? 4, okay, thanks Amber. Hebrews nine eight and fourteen. Thanks. First Second Peter one twenty one. Right, perfect. so again the creation story we see the third person of the whole uh, the third person of the godhead present judges so it's samson the story of samson most of you all know we see the presence of the holy spirit or him being uh, empowered by the holy spirit as early as judges Uh, Hebrews 9, 8 and 14. second peter 1:21 so we see the presence of the, the the exercising of the gifts under the guidance of the holy spirit the creation story um the presence of the holy spirit even in the old testament um and the eternal work of salvation that was done through the holy spirit any questions? Yeah, yeah, go ahead. Yeah. <laughs> no. Okay, so one question is about the Holy Spirit. In the Old Testament, would we just come and, like, you see a lot of times where it says, you up on Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right. Yes. So, the Spirit could come, mm-hmm. so in the Old Testament, we primarily see the Holy Spirit uh in moments of ministry. So, like when Samson was um being anointed, we we see this word "anointed," being anointed for ministry. That's or as the judge of Israel, that's when we see the Holy Spirit descending on him. Same thing with Saul. We see that with Saul. We see the Holy Spirit coming on him when he was anointed by Samuel. I think I made that up? No, he when he was no, when he was anointed as king. Yes, yes, when he was anointed as king. But then we see that when he was jealous of David, when je- David was uh, anointed as king, we see that the spirit left. So it was more for ministry and for the um, and um, more what we would call topical, not not um, available to all all, er, all everybody, but specifically to specific people for specific purposes. Unlike the Holy, unlike in the New Testament, where the Holy Spirit is available to every believer. Mhm. 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 Yeah, so the incarnation we see that the um and, and it does get a little tricky on. So like it's probably it's um he, he was always, um, you know, obviously Jesus, but his incarnation was something, uh, a momentous uh, occasion where he put on human flesh and, that, uh, and he continues to ha- be, be human or ha- be fully human since then. So, but yeah, the word, uh, the idea of the word is, is called Jesus. And so a lot of times when we talk about, so in a lot of evangelical circles, we talk about the scripture and we talk about Jesus a lot because of that specific reason. Because we believe that the word, as in the scriptures, all uh, tend to point uh, a lot to Jesus and the work that he did on the cross. Everything seems to point. So if we read through Genesis, um, Shannon's talked about this before. We read through Genesis, the Revelation, we see it all pointing back to Jesus. And Jesus is present, present through all of it uh, for that specific purpose. So. Good questions, though. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So but part of it is it's through the blood of Jesus that we the Holy Spirit is able to dwell in us. And so I th- I believe that's what is referring to, meaning like there's not like a small Jesus running around in your heart, right? So, uh, I mean, I think some of, uh, some of that is a language that uh, we, they try to c- we try to capture s- some of the essence of we trust, we believe when we say, do you trust Jesus or accept Jesus into your heart? What we're saying is, do you accept the work that he's done? And the only way that can be actually implemented in your heart is through the Holy Spirit. And so I think that's really what, when we say we accept Jesus, we're accepting the work that he's done uh, in our, in our, for us, um, for our hearts. Does that make sense? so we're not so does that make sense so the the actual so when you think about uh what does it look like for Jesus to be to actually dwell let's say you know we on sunday mornings we say you know Jesus is present here what are we saying we're not saying that Jesus like the phys, phys, is physically here but through the holy spirit he's uh, available the work that he's done is available for us to participate in so that's what uh, we refer to and some of it i think has to do with this idea, the Baptist idea of um, you know accepting Jesus into your heart, and I think that's what it's trying to capture. So when you think about how um, doctrinal statements are accepted, it's actually very political uh, you know it's kind of like what you said, you know how do we determine what words to use and how to use? And so a lot of times you see a lot of denominational aspects being captured that are not necessarily wrong, but it's not necessarily the best way to say it, but it, uh, you know, it keeps some people happy. Because, and, yeah, yeah. (laughs) I think, yeah. Yeah, I think depending on what you, yeah, I think depending on what, uh, how you have been, what kind of uh, prayer routine you've been raised with or what denomination, I think that makes a big difference. Like if you were to come from more of a charismatic uh, Pentecostal, you generally allude to the Holy Spirit a lot more. Um, I've noticed if you if you're more in the Baptist tradition, you do a lot more Jesus. If you're more in the Reformed tradition, you tend to be a little bit more broader. I do think that, so it's one of the things that when we baptize, right, we say in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, kind of alluding to this idea of the Godhead. I think, I don't think, you know, yeah. So I think that's, that's a good, um, it's a good thinking exercise for them to think through, like, what are you, act, are you actually thinking about what you're saying? I think to your point, I think it's good for us to hear so that the Holy Spirit is not like this kind of third-rate God that, you know, exists within the Godhead, so but I don't think God in heaven is, oh, wow, one point for you, <laughs> you know, one point for you. So I don't think they mind <laughs> that you pray this big. So Any other questions? That's a pretty good question. And I, I do apologize. As I was thinking through a lot of this stuff, I was like, man, I want to talk about this. I want to talk about this. But we're already, I'm, Shannon's going to be upset at me for... Because he finished at 7.45 last, I heard. So uh, let me pray for us, and then we'll we'll kind of disperse. Father, we thank you for this time. Thank you for helping us kind of process through this. Um, sometimes complex concepts. Uh, we know you're a big God, and that um, you don't fit into our uh, small brains. Um, and the language that we use, um, we're so limited in how we can describe you. We realize you're a creator, and we are created. That we... Um, are not just you're not just a glorified version of who we are, we are, but you're a completely separate being. Help us as we kind of uh, mull over this. Let this uh, ruminate in our hearts that we um, continue to remind ourselves of the work that um, your Son has done on the cross, and the uh, ability that we have to access it through the Holy Spirit, and for the work that um, that God is doing in our, all of our lives. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.